You are listening to the regular version of Sexy Marriage Radio, smrnation.com. You've turned on Sexy Marriage Radio, where the best sex happens in the marriage bed. Here's your host, Dr. Corey Allen. So already in my.smrnation.com are several threads of dialogue going on. Yeah. A couple of which might be sh- uh, shows coming up in the future. Yeah. Just because yeah. the content that's being uh, expressed and shared and the questions that are being asked, uh, some people are jumping right in. I love it. Mm-hmm. But it also is helping create a good thought process, I think, for where we can go. Because, you know, Sexy Marriage Radio, we go where the nation wants to go. Mm-hmm. And the way you can let us know is you can jump in and join our little community we got forming at my.smrnation.com. Or you can also call us, 214-702-9565. Leave us a voicemail. Ask your question, whatever's on your mind. Uh, we will go where you want to go to try to help your marriage be as sexy as it possibly mm-hmm. can be. Or as always, been there for almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. Feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. And I love it. That that brings me back to the memory of um, one of the first getaways. I think it was the first getaway we did. That became the catchphrase that uh, I started saying that at one point, and everybody in the audience finished the statement for me. Right, right. <laughs> when right. I was saying the email address. Yeah, yeah. Feedback at sexymarriageradio.com. Speaking of the Sexy Marriage Radio getaway. Um, it's coming up soon. Act now if you want to come join us because it's coming up on June 17th through the 20th here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Now is the time to register to ser- uh, save your spot. The early bird rate does go away April 15th, but I'm assuming we will probably fill up before then mm-hmm. because at last count there was just about five spots left. I have not gone back and checked up on that to see if it's even closer to it. But Okay. If you're on the fence thinking maybe we should come or let's go, well, reserve your spot because it may be gone by the time you actually decide Mm -hmm. what you want to do. So love to see you there. It's a great four days, all new content. It's going to be totally worth the time. Come join us. Well, coming up on today's regular free version of Sexy Marriage Radio is your questions And our answers, we've got a lot we're going to be covering today. We've got so much so that we're going to actually just create this whole episode. It's going to be one big giant episode. It's like potpourri. (laughs) The potpourri episode where we're just going to give everybody the free and the extended version today because of the amount of content we're going to try to cover and the questions that have been asked. We we just want to share it with everybody. But normally... The extended content would have deeper, longer, more conversation that we would continue on. And there's no ads. And you could subscribe at smrnation.com forward slash smracademy. Um, but this time, just fasten your seatbelts and let's get rolling. I was listening to a podcast yesterday about a woman having orgasms in her sleep. And I just wanted to talk about that because... That's happened to me much of my life. I remember it starting as far back as college, but maybe even high school. And my mom, when she gave me the birds and the bees talk, you know, years earlier, had told me to expect that because I think she thought that happened to all women because that had happened to her. 
you know, since she had hit puberty. Um, so apparently maybe it's a little bit genetic. My mom and myself, we both orgasm in our sleep regularly. I have never masturbated ever. Now I've been married around 25 years and I still have orgasms in my sleep on average twice a month. Um, always have. And at the same time, I've had a very healthy sex life, but the orgasms come anyway. And anyway, I just see it as a little bonus. I'm like, oh, nice. So just kind of wanted to mention that. And then as far as a question, um, my husband and I have been married like 25 years. I've had a very lovely sex life. We have never been able to kiss well, even in our dating relationship. Um, kissing has always been awkward for us with each other. And yet we both had previous boyfriends and girlfriends before we married that we both felt like we kissed great with. So we've kind of said, seems like our chemistry is on the low side with each other. And yet we enjoy sex together. But um, I've always missed the kissing portion and wished that we were good kissers together. Do you have any advice for that? Thank you. Bye. I just love the expression of, ooh, it's like a little bonus. Like a bonus. It is a bonus. <laughs> good for her. She's referring to episode 491, uh, where we, we discuss that idea of what happens uh, similar to the wet dream that a woman had emailed in about, hey, this, I haven't heard you talk about this. Mm-hmm. What's, what could be going on with this? So uh, thanks for adding to the conversation and normalizing it a little bit. She also called back a little bit later, Pam, with... Um, uh, some additional information to say that 95% of the time, those orgasms, they're not associated with the sexual dream. It just kind of occurs. Oh, is that right? It's like a bodily okay. thing yeah. that's going on with her. That's just, so it's just like, hey, so, and it is what it is. I mean, it's right. like, why try to question, figure something out? Because sometimes life is just life, right? Right. Just view it as a bonus. But on to her question of kissing. Um, this is a fascinating question to me because kissing... Um, is one of those things that Schnarch has even done some research on it in the past that has found that um, a lot of the times kissing goes down as a marriage progresses. I could, I could see that. And it particularly goes down uh, as it equates to sexual activity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To where it's no longer part of the equation mm-hmm. as much as it once was for sure. Um, so it is, it is part of this process that it's an aspect of a marriage. It's, it's obviously an, it's something that can wane, and a lot of times you could look at it as really good data of, okay, what, what role does this play in our life? And I was actually, as I was listening to her voicemail, I was sitting there wondering, what if you looked at kissing um, like a language, kind of like we do sex as a language, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. What if I actually took that aspect of this, of this dynamic and looked at that as a language? I think that there could be some enlightening information or data I might f- glean from that of... When do we kiss? What's it really about? What's the meaning attached to it? What's it saying? Right. And and maybe that helps give you a little better framework of, of the landscape of your relationship. Okay. And how that particular aspect fits into it. Because it's likely one of you wants to do this more than the other. Yeah. And yeah. so how do you avoid it? How do you pursue it? You know, because all of it is meaning. All of it is intentional mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if we think about it. But to her question, uh, it's never really been good between her and her husband. Right. 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 Twenty five years in. Do, is it? I mean, does that come down to 
kissing styles? Is it attraction? Is it um uh, right? There's a lot of aspects. There's a lot of aspects of this, and I want to add one little uh, component before we start. uh, Just kind of a macro statement. Okay. um, I think there's a human tendency that we can have that we will often uh, usually either look at our past as either better than it was or worse than it was. Okay, so what she's referring to, both of them had boyfriends or girlfriends before that they enjoyed yeah, and, that aspect Yeah, and that's not to discount that it, it was better there than it was here. Mm-hmm. And that, that's probably a true statement. Mm-hmm. But we can sometimes romanticize the, the you know, revisionist history. Okay. Of, yeah. of how we remember things, because that's the brain's way to make sense of some stuff, especially if it was kind of bad or unfulfilling or disappointing. Right. We, it's, our brain has a tendency to soften stuff. Mm-hmm. And our brain also has a tendency to exaggerate some things, because it's all, it's all tied into how do I view myself? Does that fit in with it? Sure. You know, and so I can skew the results <laughs> and, and slant it and... And that kind of then can set it to where what I'm looking at now is all the worse or all the better. So maybe that is, maybe it's not. Where, how do you, th- what's the point in how you think that plays into well, this? Well, I'm just, I want to use that as the caveat of how we often will have a tendency as humans and for sure as couples when we get further into marriage to look back at the glory years and use that to compare where I am now. And, and then I'm starting to look at it as, okay. It's not going to live up to what it was. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing of how do we get back to when we were dating and the passion that we had in that. Right. You know, we have those memories of stuff, but the context is completely different. Right. In that. So it's just, it's it's better to get a, a clearer picture of what am I facing now? Mm-hmm. I think that's the question we have to ask every stage and season of married life. Mm-hmm. What am I up against now? So now they're up against, maybe I'd like to, Make kissing a, a more intimate, maybe a more right. regular thing. Okay. So then let's get into the science of kissing. Okay. All right. So then you're talking about, first off, it's this aspect of what's the physical components that come along with kissing. Mm-hmm. Right. Bad breath, lips, moisture, dryness, um, how you bodily smell, sure. presentation. Well, just being close to one another. All of those kinds of things play out because sometimes people... Um, there's aspects of somebody that, man, they're great, but when you get really close, it's, it changes yeah. the way you feel and it changes the intimate connection. And so addressing those matter. Okay. Right. But then you get further into, um, how a kiss unfolds because then you're starting to look at, and this is what I'm curious about with her. Are they fighting for a lead? When it comes to kissing, is the higher oh desire gosh. kisser <laughs> trying to lead, but the lower desire is trying to, you know, right? And because everybody, Are they both trying to lead, or maybe both trying to follow. <laughs> yeah, because there could be this component of I really want to do this more. Now do it more for me, honey. Right. Because <laughs> how often do we do that? Yeah. In married life, so it's it's just seeing it as what's the dynamic and how it's at play, and how do you unpack that between the two of you of, I really would like to do this more mm-hmm. and kind of then look at it through the lens of an objective point of view of what's the pattern and how it's unfolded. What makes it stop? What makes it hard to get going? Mm-hmm. What makes it the length that it lasts? It is. So is that something, you know, if they are both 
trying to lead? Is that something where you, she just comes in and says, you know what, baby, you just sit back. I'm going to kiss you. Sure. And she just kind of does what she likes with sure. that and, and see how that goes. So and, he's just. And that's a great suggestion for everybody in the nation to just play with the polarities there of higher desire, lower desire, leader, follower for a right. little bit. Just like, hey, let's switch roles for a little bit. You sit back. Let me let me lead this mm-hmm. moment of kissing together. And you just follow. And, and that's where we both get a chance to learn how do I play with the different aspects of that dynamic? Yeah. Because I think we all need to be better leaders and we all need to be better followers in marriage with yeah. all the different contexts, topics, aspects that play out. Sure. So some of this then becomes how do you get back to the lab? Kind of like you're mm-hmm. describing. How do you just, let's test this out. Let's Let's do a little bit of a time where we're going to set aside to just focus on kissing. Mm-hmm. And usually you want to have environment that met, that is conducive to that, that helps sure, sure. create a good, a good atmosphere, um, helps create a place where you can be relaxed and kind of engage into it. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the things that can be very beneficial is hug beforehand. Just kind of be close, get disconnected from the world mm-hmm. that's going on because I don't know how hectic life is for them but there's an aspect of steal away for each other right with this time and then start looking at okay so what do you do while you're kissing right right because there's right. various aspects because is it right then you're talking about is it just lips is tongue okay both but then you've even got other aspects you could be kissing. You got earlobes. Right. Is it just the lips or is it the neck? Is it the Yep, collarbone, yeah. right. on south. You know, there's a lot of different things that are aspects of kissing still. Right. That what if you incorporate all of that into this arena? Right. To see it as, well, maybe we're better than we thought. Look at maybe us. So. Maybe and then so. she can come back at it as, hey, bonus. <laughs> right. I got another bonus. An email from a binge listener. Love it. It's been in the queue for a little bit. I've heard several episodes on higher and lower drive spouses. I'm curious if you think this relates to responsive and spontaneous drives. I am a higher drive wife and also a spontaneous drive spouse. My husband is slightly lower drive, but he's a responsive spouse. What do you think? We Would they usually go together in this way? And then she adds a little caveat of, I'm very much enjoying this podcast. We've signed up for the State of Our Union text, which we really enjoy. Fantastic. I love those weekly conversations mm-hmm. that I get to have with you, particularly, Pam. I do too. And we're regularly enjoying the Intimately Us and Just Between Us apps, which Dan Purcell created right. and are fantastic resources. All, thanks, all of this is thanks to you. I really hope that you will be able to join the getaway this summer. And that we'll be able to attend. Any ideas on how to encourage a lower driver drive spouse to go? Thanks for all you do. And one little quick note: I really like the episodes with you and Pam together the best. Oh, thank you. I love those too. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> so, higher drive, lower drive, responsive, spontaneous. So let's unpack those just real quick in case someone's new to the nation. Okay. We have a fundamental belief here at SMR. That in every relationship, there's a higher drive and a lower drive spouse on every topic. Right, right. And those can be interchanged. Those could shift during the seasons and stages of life. Mm 
uh, particularly with with uh, Sex Image Radio, we talk about it in the context of sex mm-hmm. and this, the desire that's associated with it. But you can also add it to where there's intimacy. Mm-hmm. Of I'm a higher des- desire spouse for intimacy, whereas my spouse is lower, mm-hmm. and they might be the higher desire for sex, but I'm lower. And mm-hmm. it, so, just understanding where you are makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. But then you can get into this idea she's mentioning of responsive versus spontaneous. And this is something I first came across with Emily, Emily Nagowski. Okay. And her book, Come As You Are, she talked about a lot of times looking at uh, our desires or our drives. There's those that are in the category of spontaneous drive, which my understanding and the science behind it talks about there's more of a biological component to that. Okay. It's just a, but I'm trying to think of uh, without saying it's just a response because that's a responsive desire. Right, but, right. But it is. If you think about it, everything it's biological is instigated, drive. Right. Everything is instigated by something, though. Mm-hmm. Sure, right. Sure. But some people have it as just a spontaneous of I have a natural interest and horniness an arousal component to my life, mm-hmm. which is likely tied to the testosterone levels in your bloodstream and in your body and the hormones that can either be working towards this or against this. Um, so spontaneous desire and drive, and then there's the responsive drive, which that's the idea of after something is instigated, after something's initiated, they will respond to that and get things going. Right, but they're not going to be the... In- <clears throat> they're not necessarily the one that's instigating it, right, yes, right. because they're more responsive. Although they could, from some other trigger out sure. in their life that got them going. That from they're a, responding they're to. They're responding to. The other way I can think of this is through the lens of um, there's the body driving it or the or the brain driving it. Sure. Right? Okay. Because sometimes the brain, and this is some of the best advice I've heard for lower de- lower desire wives, is especially the ones that are responsive, that they need to continually remind themselves that if this is an aspect of what they want in their marriage, their biology behind it may not give it a big jumpstart right away, but they know once they get going and get their brain in it, their body will come along, mm-hmm. right? And so right. the other it can happen too, where the body's going, now get the brain coming along. Right, right. So could there be a clean correlation between the two? Absolutely, there could be, because I would mm-hmm. tend to think your spontaneous desire and drive would be more of the higher drive spouse. That's certainly because, what it sounds like the correlation is, yeah. Because all of these are under the continuum of comparison with something else, mm-hmm. because neither one is right or wrong. Right. I mean, in the example, if you were in a relationship with someone else, you might be the lower desire as opposed to the higher desire because theirs is more than yours or maybe they're right. more they, sponta- spontaneous than you. Right, yeah. If, if things changed in a relationship and you got in a different one, the roles could completely shift mm-hmm. or it can happen where a season or something happens in life and it really sparks some chemical going on in, in your spouse who was once the lower. Now they're the higher. Potentially, yeah. And, and so I think that those, the thing I love about these frameworks is it just helps understand and get a better picture of what's going on and then ask myself the question of, okay, what do I do about it? Mm-hmm. And how do I be a better whichever one I am? Right. 
because I think that's where marriage gets really good and sex and marriage can get, can get to the levels of fantastic into when I start looking at it as, and you and I have even said this to each other, I just want to be a better, higher desire. Or in your case, I just want to be a better, lower desire. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just look at it through the lens of, okay, this helps me get a picture of who I am in this context. Now, how do I do it well? How mm-hmm. do I be better at mm-hmm. it? And whichever one of these helps confirm that and give you a path, go for it. An email came in from a single man. Okay. That this is a little longer, so I've paraphrased some of it, okay. but it's still quite a bit of data we're going to try to get through. So he's asking, I wonder if you can tell me about evidence from medical science that if we abstain from solo sex without it have, having to be concerned about the negative effects upon our health. Specifically, I think many guys are concerned that with, without solo sex, it could result in erectile dysfunction and also some concerns for the prostate health. So I'm a single Christian and I still want to marry. From what I've heard, erectile dysfunction can result from injury, age, and using sexually explicit material. So are there any medical studies that conclusively show that reframing from solo sex does not lead to erectile dysfunction? I'm sure many guys think that if I don't use it, I'll lose it, meaning that if they don't partake in solo sex, which is usually with porn, to keep their sexual equipment functional, they don't realize that ironically, they may soon have porn-induced erectile dysfunction, which could take months to recover from. Christian sexuality expert Clifford Pennard states that if a guy can have at least four wet dreams per year, there's no need for solo sex because four wet dreams in a year is sufficient to keep the prostate healthy. And he also adds, I'm wondering if there's studies that focus on any health concerns that refraining from solo sex might lead to. Considering how many Christian books have been written urging us to minimize solo sex in our lives, and considering how much shame and regret people often have as the result, I would hope that at least one formal study has taken place somewhere to demonstrate that long-term absence of solo sex does not bring harm into the lives of single and married people. And then he also adds, can you recommend any books that expose the health hazards of promiscuity and sex outside of marriage? So there's quite a bit. I mean, he's really just asking about... About research. Research that's out there because, um, again, just like what we have found with almost a decade of doing Sexy Marriage Radio... Uh, there's not a lot that there's not enough being talked about in this arena. Okay. Right. On, on getting into the nuances and really examining, okay, what do people do? What's going on on this subject of sex and masturbation and especially in the, under the Christian arena. Okay. Right. So are there some studies that talk about does masturbation and abstaining from it is their harm that can come from it. What I found is both sides of research. Both sides. Some that say that it does, some that says it doesn't. Correct. Okay. So there's some Harvard Medical School and Australia. They both have done some research in the past that found that there's no evidence that frequent ejaculations marked an increased risk of prostate cancer. So what they, they just studied uh-huh. younger men um, and, and were looking at if they had a high frequency rate of ejaculation. And the one thing that's different is all the studies that, I've, that I went searching on this idea when you're talking about ejaculation and prostate health. That was what I put into the Google search uh-huh. uh, just to try to narrow this down. Um, it, there's no differentiation according to medical science of 
ejaculation from masturbation or ejaculation from sex. Gotcha. It's ejaculation is ejaculation. Right, right. Okay. So what they found was that um, high ejaculation frequency was actually linked to a decrease risk when you were younger. Mm-hmm. So they were saying if it was four to seven times per month across their lifetime, men who ejaculated 21 or more times a month enjoyed a 31% lower risk of prostate cancer. Okay. 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 And you found there was another one as well that said the opposite. Right. So a 2008 study determined that if men were more likely determined to develop prostate cancer, if they were very sexually active in their thirties and twenties, although it it showed no conclusive evidence that masturbation provided a greater risk than intercourse. So it's just still looking at this. I think what he's asking, because I'm trying to read between the lines with this. Sure. I'd be curious what, sure. you, what you read sure. or hear in this, Pam. Is he's asking, okay, if I'm single and I'm not sexually active, and I have some concerns about the whole experience of masturbation, for sure everything that goes around it, because he is true mm-hmm. that the pornography and the, the things that we usually associate with masturbation are the pitfalls that we've talked about in the past those are the th- those are the most harmful components right but act. we're not talking about a, creating prostate issues correct right we're talking so he's he's uh, asking outside of if that. i'm not sexually active how risky is that to prostate health and i mean i think dr pinner's right in that the body has a natural functioning right. to help kind of refresh itself and look out for itself because there's also so many other factors that play into prostate health beyond just am I ejaculating or not. There's diet, there's exercise, there's all the other components. Right. And there's even I've even come across statements that talked about if a man lived long enough, he's going to get prostate cancer. Right. It just, most of the time, it's way past your expiration date. Right. As one of the men in my mastermind groups <laughs> refer to his death, death date. <laughs> my mom would just say, don't borrow trouble. Right. Don't worry about something that hadn't happened to you. Take care of yourself. Right. But so it's, it's something I think that, yes, I can understand it because we're looking for, I just want to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things out there that are, that people they're slanted. They have an agenda on, mm-hmm. You know, they want to talk about the medical science of prostate health, but they don't want to encourage masturbation mm-hmm. or they want to talk about, you know, your promiscuity in your past, but they don't want to give like credence or condoning it, mm-hmm. you know? And so mm-hmm. anytime I'm trying to layer Christianity and spirituality and, and that kind of a moral structure over science, they aren't usually good bedfellows. Right, right, right. Because right. It, there's a skewing. There's some sort of analysis you're trying to right. reach a result at. And so that's that's with his last question where he asked, um, sex outside of marriage, is there an issue or studies that are out there about it? Yeah. Um, what I found is in, the, in 2010 in the Journal of Family Psychology, there was actually a study involving 2,035 married participants. And they asked them, uh, according to the study, people who waited until they got married to have sex. So this was premarital sex, not promiscuity or sex outside of a marriage. Uh-huh. Uh, the, what they did was they found that re- couples that waited until they were married 
rated their sexual quality 15% higher than people who had premarital sex. Those, they also rated their relationship stability as 20% higher, and they rated their satisfaction within the relationship as 20% higher. So this study found that the couples that waited to have sex until they got married mm-hmm. overall reported a happier mm-hmm. marriage and a more satisfying marriage. Okay. So again, most of the studies that, that I found on this subject, they're weighted with an agenda, and it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Right, they have something else attached to it than just "Hey, let's give you the data, make an informed choice." Right. What we try to do here at Sexy Marriage Radio is give you the data, want you to make an informed choice, but we want to also talk about the components within that choice, which is your faith and your moral structure. Right. So then it starts to come back to what do you want to do and how you conduct yourself mm-hmm. for your character and your integrity, right, as you go forward, because yes. Sex outside of a marriage, especially if you're married, is incredibly destructive mm-hmm. because it likely is going to end the current marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just making choices to look at it as, I, fr- I frame it this way, Pam, and we've said this to each other several times, and we've said this on the air several times, of what's the step that helps you earn your own self-respect within this context? Right. Because at the end of the day, you cannot escape the relationship you've got with yourself. Right. That's the big question. Yep. So our final email today, Pam, my husband and I have been married for nine years and we have two kids with one on the way. We are each other's only serious relationship and we've only been with each other sexually. We were virgins when we got married. We did everything right. So it seemed my husband's been struggling with having thoughts about sleeping with other women and having a more free lifestyle. He's honest and upfront with me and doesn't understand why he feels this way when we have a very active and healthy sexual life and we have a good friendship too. He started feeling this way when we started our family, and he did look at things and masturbate for a while, but he stopped doing that because he knew it was wrong. I've stayed fit and attractive, and he says he still wants, wants me, and he feels about 80% satisfied with our life, but doesn't know why he feels like the other 20% of unhappiness and of, of wanting another woman. No one in particular, actually. It's just what it would be like. He says he's wrestled with this since we've had kids. Our oldest is almost five. I asked him if he'd be happier if we had a divorce, and he said that would take away 80% of his happiness, and he loves us and our kids. He says it's not me. He just feels like his young years are being spent like a 40-year-old with all the responsibilities he has. He wonders if man was really made to only have one wife when the urge is so strong. Since the Bible shows multiple cases of men with many wives, he doesn't want to hurt me or lose me, but he just doesn't know how to deal with us unhappiness and doesn't understand why. He feels this is a cruel part of life that there's just no answer for. I'm obviously hurt by this since I can't make him fulfilled sexually. We spice it up and do everything you can imagine. I've never turned him down and enjoy sex with him very much, and he says he does too. But it's still not satisfying him. He says there's the chase of another girl and being sexual with them is very hard for him to stop thinking about and being satisfied with what he has, basically. He wonders if we actually did it right, or should he have sowed his wild oats, quote-unquote, so, so to speak, before we got married? He says most things in life make sense to him, but just this just doesn't. Thanks for any advice. Hmm. So kudos, first off, mm-hmm. on the on- honesty level. Well, yeah, both of them are straight out open with each other about where they are. Um, I'd hate to think about 
what this dynamic would be if they weren't at least talking about it. Right, because one of the biggest things we can do in married life, if we want to really increase the intimate level and the depth therein, is be honest. Keep things in the open, because it's Mm -hmm. the stuff that's hidden that will impact each other that wreaks the most havoc and destruction right in a marriage because right. there's some data that happens in marriage that you don't need to know about i don't need to know about right what goes on in your work some of the nuances of those i don't know right that's not all stuff that's got to be downloaded every day <laughs> but right. but these things that do directly impact each other and you can be honest about those and wrestle with those in the open that's the same kind of thought process as dealing with fantasies mm-hmm. out in the open yeah. which is almost what this is mm. Uh, yeah is, is that's what he's talking about is like i'm just really wrestling and struggling with this so here's the two things that jump out to me okay yeah one is his side of the equation which i don't want to spend as much time on because he's not the one that wrote this in right so i'm hoping he's a listener and if he's not ma'am get him to listen to this segment right <laughs> and maybe that yeah, helps absolutely uh, and then the second is i want to talk to her okay okay so i'm curious how this is tied in when he says this began when they start started their family. Yeah, when they had kids. I want to know what it was like prior. Mm-hmm. You know, was that urge there? The thought might have been there because I think that's kind of a common, huh, I wonder. Okay. And according to some of the research that I've come mm-hmm. across on fan- what's the most common fantasies, that's one of them. Uh-huh. But he's, it sounds to me like this really ramped up once life and adulting took over. And now all of a sudden, the meaning he has attached to where he is in life is not freedom. Right. This is his path to freedom. Right. Or to the excitement, when you get into the some of the day-to-day, all the routine that sets in even more when you've got kids... I mean, her comment was, he seems, he's excited about the chase of another woman, right? That, that chase and that excitement that's there. Right. The novelty. The novelty outside of adulting. Yeah. The day-to-day doldrums. (laughs) Yeah, because I think that's, that's worth the way you just talked about the day-to-day doldrums. Um, I don't have any research to back this up. This is my own uh, stat that I've kind of created of... Um, I think when we get further into life, and particularly when we have a family, um, there's it's 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 roughly ninety percent of my existence is involved in just surviving and routine, living routine, and taking yeah. care of responsibilities yeah. and setting up things that are in the future and taking care of a home and a job and carpool, yeah, and, yeah, and meals. And then ten percent is why I do the ninety, right? It's the yeah. it's the the times I get the getaway, the vacations, the romantic experiences, the things that are the deeper take us out of ourselves, right? Things, and so some of the times you have to recognize and and realize that when I'm dealing with life, I'm going to have to do those things whether I'm in a relationship or not, whether I have children or not, mm-hmm. right? I have to I have to figure out how to survive. So how do I look at it of the things that I have to do that are part of adulting? What am I learning in those things? What's the meaning of those things? And Mm -hmm. maybe I can find what I feel like is missing within it. Sure. Hence the freedom. Sure. Or the reframing of 
what I've got. Cause he at least recognizes that of, I don't, I realize the risk involved in this, right? If I, if I was to actually follow through with yeah, this. Yeah. I don't want to lose my 80%. I don't want to lose that. Of satisfaction or right. happiness, which, well, I'll take out my comment. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, but I think we, so the other thing to ask him is what is it about the novelty, the curiosity, the identity that he has attached to this idea of what if I would have sown my wild oats? What, what if, if I would he, have had all these experiences? Yeah. What if you had, what do you, what, what do you, it'd be interesting to find out what he thinks he would gain from that. Right. Because we all have this desire within us of what if I X. Yeah. Not is, realizing there could be some tremendous pitfalls from X too. Isn't that interesting? You know, you commented earlier when we look back at experiences we had in the past, sometimes we um, glorify them. We only remember the good. Maybe we only remember the bad. But I think sometimes when we fantasize about in this scenario, what if I had sowed my oats? Right. And you can you can think that that would have been so fabulous, yeah. right? Maybe I would have had all these experiences, these wild, hot, passionate encounters, whatever that would have been. And then you're omitting other things that come along with oh, that. I, what The crazy girl that wouldn't leave me alone well, and wouldn't stop stalking me. Right off and, the way you just framed that is I've had three men in the course of my professional career that we have talked at length about the fact that they did that and all of them were so devastating in their own mind to their psyche, to their identity. They did not like viewing themselves like that. Mm, right. That was the other side of it. Yeah. And then yeah. once they got married and were into a committed relationship with a woman that they just couldn't get enough of in their marriage, it was really in- engaged and, yeah, that's where they found hope and peace and right. So it's just yeah, it's the meanings we atto- attach to things. Yeah, like all the difference. Yeah, and and like so many things in life, we don't realize the lesson until we've lived through it. Correct. Right. I can't have someone just tell me that. I quite right. often I live through it. So let's shift gears back to her. Okay. Because the thing that jumps out to me is her last paragraph of her email. That obviously this hurts. Yes, this is going to hurt to hear a husband that's wrestling with these kinds of things out in the open. Right. Because it's hard to not identify with what is this about me? But her quit her statement of since I can't make him fulfilled sexually. I want to jump on that statement. Right. Okay. There. What would you say to that? Um, well, just to be blunt. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't. Okay, because I do believe when it, there are a lot of times where a person is not going to fulfill another person sexually, and it's not about the person. Well, it's not just sexually. It's anything in life, right? right? I, I can't make my spouse happy. I can't fulfill them. They have to stand on their own two feet. They right. got to figure out what they want. They right. got to figure out what they want sexually. Right. And if they... and and. It sounds like he's thinking he's figured out what he wants sexually, and he's bringing that to her right now. So this is just part of that journey of potentially him figuring out what it is that'll fill that bucket. Yeah, we've had 
way too many times, I think, with the way marriage has unfolded to where a spouse thinks they're responsible for more than they really are when it comes to their partner. Yeah. Right? We look right. to our spouse for more than they need to be. Right. Or could possibly be fulfilled for our life. Mm-hmm. And so it's really starting to challenge these meanings that we've attached to these things. It's starting to look at, okay, I can't fulfill him sexually because he has these fantasies. He has these thoughts. Well, yes, but you do have a satisfying sex life for you. Mm-hmm. That's what she, he says he enjoys it too. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's easy to take it as, well, but he still has, as that's a huge problem. And yes, it is, but it's not huge. It's just a problem. Okay. Right? Because you're talking about bringing both of us more into the marriage and creating room for that aspect of us. What we choose to do, obviously it has impact, but the fact that we can wrestle with these things, that's intimacy. That's the episodes we did 501 to 504 mm-hmm. on all the extended content mm-hmm. was creating that, that dynamic and dilemma of understanding and creating room to honor all of each other. Right. And so to her, I would say, okay, I can't fulfill him sexually, but that's her, that's the way she's framed it. So how do you start to frame it as, okay, what if that's not my job? What if what he does get with me though, he's not going to find with anybody else. And it probably is more than he can even handle in the first place. Right. 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 Because look at who I am and look at how outgoing I am and I'm willing to try things and good on you, ma'am. Right. That is awesome to just bring that to bear and realize it doesn't take out the, ooh, that hurts, because there's still impact. Sure, sure. But instead, it's looking at what am the, what's the impact you're bringing to him to basically be able to look him in the eye and say, honey, I understand you're wrestling with this. I understand there could be a struggle with this. You need to fully understand what you stand to lose if you act on this. Yeah. If there's something that goes on with that, yeah. because that's bringing more of you to the equation that's then creating a self-respecting move. Mm-hmm. It's creating something of value. Mm-hmm. And it's also putting the pressure and the struggle where it really needs to go. This is not her job to solve for him. That's right. This is his job to wrestle with what's the meaning attached to all of the things that have made it to where parenthood has made me feel trapped and my path to freedom could be whatever. Right. Well, okay. But there's also paths to freedom that aren't destructive that come along with, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That actually can be enlightening and inviting mm-hmm. to those you're doing life with and want to do life mm-hmm. with. That's where you want to go. It's fun to every so often offer up the full show to everybody, isn't it? It is. To just take the time and unpack everything and go deep on some of the questions because man, the SMR nation, they rock in how they bring the questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every topic let's, let's talk because certainly you're not alone in whatever it is you're bringing up. And we want more. We want more of your questions. Mm -hmm. So let us know. 214-702-9565. Feedback at sexymarriageradio.com or jump in the conversation at my.smrnation.com. And we can even have the dialogue there, too, as well as what comes on on the shows each and every Wednesday morning when they roll out. Well, this has been Sexy Marriage Radio. 
Um, we hope personal invitation from Pam and I. We'd love to shake your hand or give you a fist bump at the SMR Nation's getaway coming up in June. And we can't can't wait to see you there. Yeah. Wherever you are, whatever you've been doing, thanks for taking some time out of your week to spend it with us. We'll see you next time.